0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. There are far too many people in our world who do not celebrate Christmas. Children are denied the joy that our children have here because we celebrate Christmas. And there are far too many people in our world who do celebrate Christmas, but they don't know why. They don't know what it's all about. I would ask, Lord God, that you would give us a burden in in our spirit to remind people Jesus is the reason for the season, to remind people that. Jesus is the greatest gift that God could give humanity, and humanity has the greatest gift it can ever receive in Jesus. Cause us, Lord, to rejoice in this, that we do have a Savior, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. I want to return to the book of Isaiah, if you will, please, in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 7. And I want to focus this morning on an important text regarding the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7, we will look at verses 10 through 14. Stand with me, if you will, please, in honor of God's word. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you worry my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. <coughs> Excuse me. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the Word of God. May He add His blessing to the reading of the Word. You may be seated. Two Sundays ago, we considered the backstory to this text and the immediate application of the prophecy of Isaiah. This morning, I want to explore the complete fulfillment of this prophecy. When we speak of Jesus Christ, we speak of the singular person who was and is both fully God and fully man. We speak of Jesus, the Son of Mary, born in Bethlehem, and Christ, the Son of God, who existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternity. The Bible claims and affirms that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that is, before they were married, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Later on in that chapter, in verse 20, Matthew writes, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is, to Joseph, In a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 35, scripture tells us that Jesus was born of Mary, a young woman who was engaged to be married, but by her own confession was a virgin. I want you to look at that passage, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, the angel said, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And he responded to her. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. By her own confession, she was a virgin. She was a young lady who had not known a man. It's consistent with the prophecy Of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, I'm sure you have run across those individuals, or you have read uh, articles, or maybe even watched certain programs on television as the Christmas season comes along that individuals have really downplayed the idea of Mary being a virgin and conceiving in her womb, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christ child. And many will say, because they do not believe in the virgin birth of Christ, they will say that the, young, the, the word that is used in these texts is basically young maiden Young maiden and not necessarily virgin. In most instances, though, the words young maiden in the Hebrew Old Text is betula or nara. Betula or nara. In such texts, though, the word is qualified. By stating that the young maiden was virgin or had not known a man. In Genesis chapter 24, verses 12 through 16, Abram's servant had gone to Mesopotamia to find a future bride for Abram's son Isaac. And on the way... Abram's servant asked God, he prayed to God, to send him to a young woman. In verse 14, the word young woman is Nara, Nara. This young woman was to be Isaac's wife, Rebekah. Now when Rebekah appeared, the servant called her a young woman. Woman, in verse 16. Again, the word nara. But it was qualified by the words virgin. Later on, she was identified as betula. Betula, a young woman. But it was qualified as well with the words, Whom no man had known, or who had known no man. So in Isaiah's prophecy, as in the words of uh, Matthew and Luke, as in the words of uh, Moses as he wrote these accounts in Genesis, we have several different names for a young woman, a young maiden, a young girl. And the names in the original texts are varied, but they are qualified in the text by saying either virgin or one who has known no man. In Genesis chapter 24, verses 42 through 44, Rebekah is referred to as a virgin, and the word here is Halma, Halma, a young woman who's had no sexual relationships. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Pharaoh's daughter, when she went down to the Nile River to bathe, she was attended by servant girls. And in the Hebrew, it's called narah, young girls who did not know a man. Moses' sister herself is called a maid, and the word is halma, virgin. So when Pharaoh's daughter comes to the Nile River to bathe, she's attended by young maidens, young servant girls, who were uh, sexually pure. And she finds this basket in which there is the baby Moses. And that basket is attended to by Moses' older sister. And she is called Halma. She is a young teenage girl And she's called Halma, a young maiden who has known no man. So in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the mother of the child, Emmanuel, is called a virgin. Halma, a young woman who's had no sexual relationships. When you turn to the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, Mary is called a virgin. And here in the Greek, it's Parthenos, Parthenos. And the word Parthenos speaks of a female who has never had sexual relationships. A married woman is not called a Parthenos, but a young maiden is called Parthenos. Mary was engaged to Joseph. But she was not married to Joseph. In the ancient Near East, girls aged 12, 13, 14 could be betrothed to a man. That was a formal commitment, what we would call an engagement here, a formal commitment to the individual. And after a year or so of dating, getting to know one another, planning the wedding, setting up the household, uh, these two individuals would see each other, talk to each other, would go to synagogue together, so on and so forth. But there would be no sexual contact between the two. Time would have to pass before the betrothal was consummated by a formal wedding ceremony and then the honeymoon. Girls found to be immoral during that period of time were condemned as adulteresses. This was not true of Mary. She was a virgin when she, was, when she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in her womb, the Christ child. And that child, whom we know to be Jesus, was indeed virgin born. Now, you may very well say, well, what's the big deal about all of this anyway? What, you know, what is the, the issue about Mary being a virgin And Jesus being conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit and not by Joseph or by any other man. Well, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's not a cultural issue. It is a theological and a doctrinal issue. And it's one that we hold as Christians, evangelical Christians, it is one that we hold to be true for a number of different reasons. Let me give you three this morning. Number one, it proves that salvation comes from God himself and not from any other source. It proves that salvation comes from God himself and not from any other source. This puts everyone on notice. It puts everyone on notice. False prophets, false messiahs, false Christians, and false churches. After Adam and Eve sinned by listening to Satan rather than the Lord God, God puts Satan on notice By saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. Her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3, 15. The one born of the woman. He didn't mention the man. The one born of the woman will crush the head of Satan. He will destroy Satan. No man can do that. Only God can do that. And God did do that through Jesus Christ, His Son, when He died on the cross. Humans have no power to confront to contend, or to conquer Satan. He is a fallen angel. He is greater in knowledge, greater in power, greater in influence than all of us put together. No human being can deal with him. Only God is superior to him. Only God can keep Satan at bay. Only God can conquer Satan. Satan. Well, you say, Jesus was a human. Yes, he was, fully human. But because of the virgin birth, because he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, he is also God. And through his death on the cross, he conquered Satan and he fulfilled this prophecy that God uh, uh, spoke in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, her child, her descendant, will bruise your head, crush your head, conquer you, even though you will bruise his heel. God in Christ, winning our salvation. In the virgin birth of Jesus, God the Father exposed the heresy of religious men and women, that there are many ways to the kingdom of God. There isn't. Jesus Christ is the only way into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can know God the Father. Salvation only comes through the supernatural work of God in bringing forth a son through Mary even Jesus Christ the Lord. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, while Peter was talking to Jesus, as Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John there on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a bright cloud that overshadowed them. And then there came a voice out of that cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And what was it that Jesus said? Jesus called himself the Son of Man, a messianic title, Son of God. He called himself Son of David, another messianic title, Son of God. He was known as the Christ and called himself the Christ, the anointed one of God. But he made it very, very clear in John chapter 14 in verse 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. How do we know he spoke the truth? How do we know that Jesus was right in everything that he preached and taught? How do we know that indeed he is the Son of God? We know... Three days after his crucifixion, God the Father raised him from the dead. And that was the sign of God's approval upon all that Jesus Christ was and all that Jesus Christ did. It was the sign that God has given to all of us that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior whom God has provided for a sinful humanity to be saved. Second, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ made possible the unique joining together of the full deity and the full humanity in one person. No other individual like Jesus Christ. He is the only one in which all that God is and all that man is is united in one person. Divinity And humanity. And this was the only means, as I stated a while ago, the only means by which anyone can be saved. Paul the Apostle wrote to the churches of Galatia, chapter 4, and verse 4: when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, not of a man, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of. Of sons, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ, God ordained the uniting of the human and the divine so that our Lord's full humanity would be seen in the reality of His human birth by a human mother, And his full deity would be realized in his conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Why was that necessary? Why should we believe that? Third, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ made possible his true humanity without inherited sin. Without inherited sin. There's never been an individual born that hasn't been born with a sinful nature except Jesus. Except Jesus. Scripture teaches us that from Adam to this very day, every person born into human existence was born in sin. Except Jesus. All of us have inherited What theology calls legal guilt. Legal guilt. We've inherited legal guilt through sinful, fallen nature inherited from Adam. Some churches call this original sin. We call it legal guilt. That means we're all guilty of sin. Listen, we're all guilty of sin not because we're inherently sinners. But we are sinners because we sin. We are inherently guilty of sin and that is proven by the fact that we do sin. That's legal guilt. If an individual in court is legally guilty of something, it's because the prosecutor has proven that the person was guilty of the crime. We are Legally guilty of sin because God has proven to us and we've proven to ourselves that we are sinners. We sin. We rebel against God. There's no question about that. The fact that Jesus was not born of the seed of man means that the sinfully corrupt line of man from Adam to today was interrupted temporarily interrupted Wayne Gruden says quote, "Jesus did not descend from Adam in exactly the same way in which every other human being has descended from Adam" End quote. There was something about Jesus that was inherently different than you or me and that was because he was not born of the seed of Adam he was born of the virgin Mary The legal guilt As sinful human beings and the moral corruption that's inherent in all of us was not inherent in Jesus Christ. King David was right in his penitent Psalm 51 when he said in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. What he meant was, I was born in sin because I was conceived in sin. His inherent sinfulness was the root and the source of his actual sin. But that's not true with Jesus. It's not true with Jesus. That's why the angel Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This child of Mary would also be the child of God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, declared holy, sinless, not from birth, but from conception. Sinless. Since Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, making Him fully divine, and born of Mary, making Him fully human, Why didn't he inherit a sinful nature through Mary? I mean, she descended from Adam, did she not? And even though the child conceived in her womb was by the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary was still a sinful person, was she not? Now, some churches have tried to get around this. Some theologians have tried to get around this by the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception by saying that Mary was conceived sinless in her mother's womb, so Jesus, therefore, could be conceived sinless in Mary's womb. No. Mary was indeed born of the seed of Adam. It doesn't matter that the Roman church or any other church erroneously declares Mary to be sinless by virtue of immaculate conception. Mary understood that she was, in, uh, was a sinner in need of a Savior because in her Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, Mary sings the song to the Lord God and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. If Mary had been immaculately conceived, she would not have been a sinner. She would not have declared the need for a savior. But she understood, and that—that's why she was humbled when the angel of the Lord came to her and spoke to her about being the mother of the Christ child. She did not feel herself worthy. Why? Because she understood that even as a young teenage girl, she was a sinner. and was not qualified to bear the Son of the living God. So, why didn't Jesus inherit a sin nature from his mother, Mary? The answer is simple. The Holy Spirit prevented the sin nature to be transmitted to the Christ child. How did he do that? The answer is also simple. I have no idea. As a matter of fact, no one knows. I've asked individuals that question. Individuals who are far, far smarter than I am. And the answer always comes back. No one knows. Scripture doesn't say. No one knows. How the Holy Spirit was able to create in the womb of Mary the human child that would become Jesus to be perfectly holy and, and sinless? How was he able to do that? By the power of God, he was able to do that. What are the machinations that enabled him to do that? No one knows. Only God knows. And we can take up the discussion with him when we see him in glory. But what we do know is this. The angel Gabriel who was the messenger of God to Joseph and to Mary stated that the child would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit making him fully God and would be holy from conception making him fully human but without a sin nature. Now, again, why is this important for us? Because we cannot be saved without such a Savior. The only sacrifice that can completely satisfy God's justice in dealing with our sinful humanity would be absolutely impossible. If God did not provide for himself a sacrifice that could atone for our sin. A sacrifice that would fully satisfy, that would fully appease God's wrath upon the sinner. An unconditionally perfect sacrifice. We cannot provide such a sacrifice. That's why ancient Israel had to continue to bring a lamb or a calf or a dove before the Lord year after year after year after year. Because no sacrifice of mankind could ever atone perfectly his sin before God. But God provided a sacrifice. God provided a sacrifice that was perfect. And was able then to satisfy the justice of God over man's sin and to satisfy the wrath of God upon every man who does sin. Only God could produce such a sacrifice. And He did. Only Jesus Christ could be such a sacrifice. And He willingly became that sacrifice for our sin. And that allows us to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen and amen. Stand with me. David, come and lead us in a song. For those participating tonight, please be here starting at 530 to go over your presentations. Thank you. A very simple but powerfully true song. Amen. Father, we thank you for the time together in the study of your word. Bless now uh, these thoughts as we uh, continue on through the day. May we rejoice in knowing, Father, that this unique individual named Jesus is unique for a reason. His birth was unique. His life was unique. His sacrificial death was unique. He is indeed Son of God and Son of Mary. He is indeed the only sacrifice for sin. He is indeed the only way, truth, and life that leads us to you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his birth. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you, Lord, that someday soon he is coming again to receive us into his kingdom. In Jesus' name I ask.